We've given away almost $150 million now. We're closing in on that, which is amazing. In 3,000 different studies, and we fund studies looking at cats, dogs, all kinds of wildlife. And we've been doing that, yeah, for 75 years. It's a, it's amazing. And we have a pretty broad portfolio of what we'll fund. We basically, people come to us for grants in all different areas. Hi, I'm Tori Mystic, and you're listening to the Wear, Wag, Repeat podcast, the only show dedicated to supporting women in all areas of the pet industry. Today, you'll hear from Dr. Kelly Deal, the Senior Director of Science and Communications at Morris Animal Foundation. During our conversation, we explore the role of the foundation in funding important animal health research. Kelly shares some intriguing case studies that have come from the research they funded, including work on the parvovirus, which is very close to my heart as I had a dog who passed away due to the parvovirus many years ago. We also discuss the impact of Morris Animal Foundation's work Beyond Pets, touching on species-specific studies like the one on yellowed-eyed penguins in New Zealand. Another exciting initiative of the foundation is Data Commons. It's a hub of animal health data that is free and available to researchers working on pet cancer studies and other topics. Something else we discussed that applies to all of us in the pet industry is collaboration. In the foundation's work, Kelly highlights just how important it is to collaborate with others in the animal world. This was such a jam-packed conversation. I can't believe how much we fit into this interview. We also touched on the foundation's Stop Cancer Forever campaign. Listen to learn more about that and some of the potential risk factors for cancer in dogs. I think you're going to enjoy this deep dive into the world of animal health research. I found it very fascinating. And just like Kelly explains, collaboration really is key if we want to make a positive impact in the pet world. You can't go it alone. So if you would like to connect with like-minded women petpreneurs who are just like us, check out Wear Wag Repeat Society. That's my membership that helps you grow your pet business online each month. You can learn more and join at wherewagrepeat.com slash society. Okay, on to the interview. Currently Senior Director of Science and Communications at Morris Animal Foundation, Kelly Deal received her DVM from the University of Tennessee and started her practice career in a bustling emergency clinic in New Jersey. After a year in emergency practice and an internship at Animal Medical Center in New York City, Dr. Deal moved west, completing a residency in small animal medicine at Colorado State University. After a three-year NIH postdoctoral fellowship at National Jewish Health, Dr. Deal joined the staff of the Veterinary Referral Center of Colorado as the co-owner of the Internal Medicine Section. Fourteen years later, Dr. Deal left private practice to pursue a career in medical communication and joined Morris Animal Foundation in 2013. 
She is a board certified small animal internal medicine specialist with an interest in gastroenterology and immunology. She lives in Colorado with her husband, two children, three cats, too many fish to count, and one very lovable Labrador retriever. Hi, Kelly. Hi, Tori. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so nice to meet you. And I always like to meet another Labrador lover. (laughs) Yep. We are longstanding Labrador lovers, though I will say I like all dogs. I'm just going to put that Uh, out there. (laughs) Of course. We all love all dogs, but labs are kind of special. What color is your current one? Yellow. Okay. I have two chocolates. So I think you have to stick with one color at a time just so that you're you can match your clothes to the dog hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And furniture and other things, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm so pleased to have you on the show. Morris Animal Foundation is obviously just one of the leaders in animal health research, and you do such amazing work. Um, I've known about the foundation for a long time, um, but for the people who aren't familiar, can you just give us the the rundown of of what the animal, the Morris Animal Foundation does? Yeah, happy to. We are excited because this is our 75th anniversary. We've been around a long time. We've always been based here in Denver. And our founder was a veterinarian who was very concerned that there was just a real lack of research surrounding animal health concerns, right? I think we all know there was research on animals, but not always beneficial to animals. And he felt like there were a lot of knowledge gaps. He, um, Dr. Morris Sr., started well, didn't start, but he um, created the first prescription diet, which I think a lot of folks know Hills. And he was really smart. And he put a half a cent a can aside to start our endowment and start the foundation. And so we benefited from those initial royalties. And now we've grown, we've given away almost $150 million now. We're closing in on that, which is amazing, in 3,000 different studies. And we fund studies looking at cats, dogs, equids. I had to change it. We used to say horses, but we've done donkeys and mules now. Oh, so we've got to say equids. <laughs> so equids and while all kinds of wildlife. And we've been doing that, yeah, for 75 years. It's a it's amazing. And we have a pretty broad portfolio of what we'll fund. We basically people come to us for grants in all different areas. I think it's so fascinating that it's not just pets. I think that um, you know, we'll, and we'll, we'll get to this, but you know, one of your sort of headline studies is the golden retriever animal, uh, the golden retriever lifetime study. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I always think of it as being studies to help our pets health, but it really is all kinds of animals. It really is. And part of that came about from people, we started with cats and dogs really early on from the beginning, right? And then a few years later, we added horses because people came to us and said, you know what, we don't have any funding agencies for problems with horses. And then wildlife was only a few years after that. Same thing. People are like, we don't have funding. There's funding for conservation. And I think people probably realize that, right? So conservation, which absolutely addresses health of wildlife. But what we fill, the niche that we fill, which is really specific, at least from a wildlife perspective, is we're looking at wildlife health 
problems, right? Um, I mean, it can incorporate habitat loss, climate change, et cetera. But it's really looking at, hey, there's a disease cropping up in this. We just did one on, I'm going to say this hopefully right, Hoiho penguins, which is the yellow-eyed penguin of New Zealand. And all these chicks were dying and no one knew why. And they came to us and said, we need money for this. And we funded it. And they actually found the virus, and which is the first step in now being able to deal with it, right? And so that's a very typical scenario from our wildlife perspective. We'll often do something. We did work when the Deepwater Horizon oil spill happened and people needed money for to study, right, the effects of everything from we did oil and dispersants on oysters because the oysters can't get away, right? They're kind of stuck. <laughs> and we did all the way to dolphins that are in that area and the different different dolphin populations. So we have, again, a really wide portfolio. Obviously, we fund worldwide since I just mentioned New Zealand. So we have grants all over the world. We've done that from the get-go. And again, a pretty wide portfolio of what we'll fund. Well, and you work on, like you just mentioned, these kind of exotic, um, very niche medical needs and research needs, but also stuff that that all of us as pet parents deal with on a daily basis, you know, like, uh, you know, one of my dogs is epileptic. So I know you've done a lot of studies related to epilepsy, um, hip dysplasia, a cognitive decline, all kinds of stuff that affects our pets that are living in our homes too. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of those reflect the concerns of researchers who are seeing these maybe in clinic, right? And they'll come to us and say, hey, we need some help. Um, a lot of our epilepsy work, which you may know, Tori, centered around new drugs, right? So somebody, there's a drug comes out for people and researchers would come to us and go, we think this might work in dogs, but we don't know. Can you help us with funding to study this? And that's just one example of how we'll respond sometimes to what researchers bring us. The flip side happens too. Sometimes we'll have uh, particularly maybe an individual donor or we'll see like, hey, something's going on here bring us your, we'll issue a special call. We did that for the Australian wildfires a few years ago. We issued a special call. We said, hey, we got a pot of money. It's focused. You know, we want to focus it on this topic. Please come to us with your ideas. So it kind of works both ways. Sometimes we respond because researchers are like, hey, we're seeing this. We think we need some help figuring this out. We did that with parvovirus back in the day. I mean, dogs were dying. Researchers were like, hey, we need some funding. And they came to Morris to help for with that funding. And and like I said, the opposite happens. Sometimes we'll have an area of interest and we'll ask people, hey, send us your ideas. It, it's so necessary because, you know, just specifically with the canine epilepsy, I've heard from our different vets that we've seen that they say, there's just not enough research. We just don't know. You know, I'll say, can I give CBD with phenobarbital, will it interact? And they say, well, we just don't know because the studies haven't really been done. So there's a huge need for this kind of work. Yeah. And um, there's some there's some stuff creeping out. Uh, we just did recently funded a study in Canada on CBD. But what was really interesting or difficult about that particular request is that was three years in the making because CBD 
is not legal everywhere. It's not legal in, right? All that stuff is legal in Canada, which is part of the reason we're doing it in Canada. But um, just because like, if we sent money into Canada, do we look like drug dealers? You know what I mean? There was like all this weird stuff. Like we didn't even think about, we're like, yeah, we'll give you some money. And they're like, wait, 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 we got to talk about this you Isn't guys are weird? like narcos or something yeah exactly like we were like oh well we don't want to be seen as and it's going across the international border adds all like so the money's going it was really weird it's better the landscape is better now it's easier for us but i was talking to a veterinarian in new zealand and they've been um struggling getting they've been trying to get marijuana and cbd on the ballot they can't sell any of it so in the podcast where i was talking with him we had to be really careful he had to be careful how he spoke about it because he couldn't be advocating necessarily it's crazy skirt around the topic i i know so we're excited about that first cbd study it's the first one we've actually been able to fund even though it's been on our radar for a long time oh good well i'm i'm excited to learn more about that and i know a lot of people will be Mm -hmm. um okay so speaking of you know all, all your big studies let's talk a little bit about the golden retriever lifetime study because that is kind of the headline thing that you've been working on for how many years? We are about, let's see, I've got a, probably we've been working on it for 14, maybe 15 from like the first little inkling. We've been recruiting, we started recruiting 11 years ago. So we're getting to celebrate our 11th. So that means we're starting our 12th years, which just seems like crazy that it's been going, going on that long. And it's kind of our marquee study. You're right. For years and years and years and years and years, people would come to us, we'd raise money and go here, here's some funds. And people decided a few years ago that, you know what, we just, again, we need a big cancer study on cancer risk factors in dogs. I think everybody knows now dogs may be very good models for people. So what may be a risk factor for them would be great maybe a risk factor us their time frame is condensed of their life but they live long enough right they're not a rodent that's living two or three years they develop cancer spont- uh, spontaneously and there we go so we started the golden retriever lifetime study where we enroll dogs and we're following them through their lifetime unfortunately goldens have a very high rate of cancer as a breed which is really really unfortunate and 75% of the dogs that have been in our study and, you know, they're getting, we had our first teenager, not that long ago, 13 years old, they're getting cancer and it is accounting for like 75% of the deaths in the cohort, which is just insane, right? That they're, they're dying at that rate. That's exceeds what we've thought and what the Golden Retriever Foundation, which actually provided us with some of the initial statistics, they were talking 60%, but in our cohort at 75. Oh my gosh. How sad. Terrible. Yeah. Well, I, you know, we're over 275 episodes in here, but I did remember way back when on episode 26, I interviewed a woman named Liz Rubenstein. She's the creator of Ginger Lead, which is Mm -hmm. a, a wonderful device to help um, support your dog's kind of rear end after surgery or injury or anything like that. And her golden Jake is part of the study. And I'm not sure if Jake is still with us or what his status is, but 
she was telling me um, some of the data that they had to collect as the pet owners, like around their house and how involved it was. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I can. Um, We collect everything and everything. And so we would ask people, I mean, there's obvious questions. What does your dog eat? Right. Most of the time. But then we take a deep dive. People actually have to go get the bag of food and tell us some of the like major ingredients, stuff like that. Then they have to talk about, do you feed them treats? Do you feed them vegetables? For example, my favorite is we ask, do you feed bell peppers? It's that that precise. And then we say, what color bell peppers? Because, right, there's some thought about color and antioxidants. Yes, darker ones have more antioxidants, maybe. Right, exactly. And so we ask that. We'll ask, you know, what flooring do you have? Give me the percentage of time your dog's on carpet. Give me the percentage of time your dog may be on hardwood floors. Uh, Exposures of all kinds to the obvious ones, like do you spray your lawn? Do you use pesticides? Right, that kind of stuff. But the... um, but everything, like, does your neighbor do it? You don't have to go bug your neighbor to ask them what they're doing. And then how much time, I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like if they swim, what type of water do they swim in? A percentage time and the temperature of the water. Because it speaks to metabolic, like how it's, it's harder. You spend more energy swimming in cold water, right? Than warm okay. water. Mm-hmm. So right, really super precise. Very, very detailed. Yes. I, I remember Liz telling me that she had to look up like the fiber content of her carpeting. And I was like, wow. <laughs> I know. Like, what is it? Right. Is it uh, synthetic? Right. Is it wool? Uh, that's what she's talking about. Right. Yes, like, absolutely. Right. Crazy. And so but now you- you're at the stage of the study where um, you're, I don't know that wrapping up is the word because it will never really be done this work. Right, right. Um, but you're getting ready to make some of the data available, correct? Right, right. So we have a couple of things. One, we a few years ago, we put uh, something called Data Commons, which is uh, you can apply to get data, but some of the data was embargoed. We're actually expanding it. Like uh, even as a few years ago, you could only get up to like year four or five. Well, we are expanding that and actually making it a little bit user, more user friendly. And the idea behind the data commons was to try to get researchers to come in and play around, see what we had, and then they could actually apply to us and say, this is great, but I need more detail. Like, I really need to know that fiber content beyond just are they on carpet or not. I need to know the fiber content. And we've really made a big push the last few years to reach out to researchers and say, look, we got this data. We also have samples because these dogs would come in every year. So they give samples like they give us um, urine, feces, hair and nails, obviously blood samples and a variety of different blood types of blood samples that we kind of split out. And we have all of this available to researchers and we actually were giving it away for free. Um, they have to come up with some of the funding for a study, but we'll we'll get the, the stuff to them that they need. We're starting to do more with provide funding to them too, because that's part of the big piece. A lot of them are like, yeah, I'd love to do a study, but I don't have money sitting around to to be able to fund this but we're we're doing that as well because you're right Tori we're getting to the point we've had a we always felt like if we reached 500 cancer diagnoses that that would be 
it would adequately do what we call power the study, which means any conclusions we make have a lot of oomph behind them, right? We can feel good about them. If you only have 10 dogs, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's 10 dogs. Well, we'll have 500 diagnoses and we're keeping, we decided to keep going. We were going to stop then. And we originally thought the study would take into 2024. We are now going on as long as we can keep funding it with for people. And we're really excited about that because one of the things that we're talking about that can be deceptive is we go, all right, 75% of dogs died. Wow, it's really high. That sounds terrible. But we don't know because we don't have very elderly dogs. So there may be some dogs, right, that are going to go on and maybe it will be 60% at the end because we get a bunch of dogs that live to be 13, 14, right? We're just not there yet. We just don't have enough dogs into that age range. And we're very, very interested in some of those old dogs. Sometimes what's interesting is the individuals who don't get cancer, right? Like what's yes. unique about them. So we've we've got a ways to go, but we're getting really excited because we got a really juicy database now. The the way they say it in 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 science speak is they go the data is mature, but I like juicy. So we've got a lot that's really good, right? Years and years and years now, not just 3 years, 10 years on some dogs, 11 years, right? So, yep, we've got Phenomenal. it. Phenomenal. I yeah. know. Well, and you had mentioned, um, you just kind of in, in passing mentioned making this data available for free. As someone who is not in uh, the clinical research world at all, is that uncommon? Do you usually have to pay for data? Sometimes, um, but and and some of the big database, some of the big databases that we can even have access to are our uh, government ones. So CDC has a big free database, NIH does. Some of the databases, the only restriction they have is you have to have like a EDU, right? You have to be a nonprofit or EDU at the end of your email. But we've we've had a few uh, people request access. We re- approve them to go in and kind of, uh, kind of look at it. And like I said, we're making it a lot more user-friendly. But yeah, sometimes databases or they're, they're collected by a company, right? Um, I mean, a large food company might ask you for data. Well, they're not going to give that out, right? Some of these are, or they're going to sell it, right? And because that's just how how it works. And um, so that that's one thing. The other thing we're starting, you, you helped me, Tori, because we're going to do something we're starting soon called Citizen Pat, which is going to be a citizen science project. And we're hoping to get it up and running. We're going to get into beta testing soon with uh, our Golden Retriever Lifetime Study folks. And the idea is to collect data that we can then give to anybody to look at, right? Some of it is also going to have a recruitment piece. So we're going to have people sign up and you could have any breed, doesn't have to be Golden Retrievers. And we could say, you know, would you be interested in participating in a study of Boston Terriers? And people can say, yes, I would be happy to participate in a study with my Boston Terrier. So it's coming, but it'll be up and running. We're hoping, and I'm knocking on wood a little bit, but our latest update today is within the next year. Oh, exciting. So people people all over the country could kind of enroll and be part uh-huh. of this research that would look at at cancer signs or all kinds of different things. Everything. Okay. And basically we'd be collecting d- data similar to our golden retriever lifetime study. Like we can convert some of that stuff into, you know, you might 
we might have somebody interested in a researcher who wants this data. We might collect the data ourselves and just have it banked and be able to share it. People could come to us and go, look, I don't have time to do this. Do you have this data? Maybe on exercise or whatever. We could go, yeah, we do. And be able to share share that data. Um, it's a pretty, it's a really, again, a, a little different for us at Morris, right? Typically we're a granting agency, but we see maybe a need for that kind of information. Well, it just seems like obviously this golden retriever study has been in the works for 14 years, $32 million. Not everyone has the resources and it seems like it could be a big barrier to making breakthroughs in, in pet health. So um, I, I really admire the spirit of collaboration. And I think that in the 200 some people I've had on the show, that seems to be the common thread that in the pet industry, we're very collaborative because at the end of the day, uh, we really care about the pets and, you know, everything else kind of falls by the wayside if you can make pets lives better. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. I agree. I think people get into animal related industry, uh, many for very altruistic reasons, uh, whether that's your veterinarian or veterinary technician or the people who work for nonprofits, uh, they have a very different viewpoint. And I like the idea of collaboration. We've collaborated with the NIH. We've collaborated with the Dog Aging Project, which is another really big group. We helped helped them get set up. Some of those folks sit on our board. Some of our folks sit on their board. And again, it the idea is not to be competitive, but to work together on. And we've done, we're starting to try to do some work with them, like, because they have data on cancer too. They don't have samples, but they have a really big database. So how can we work together to look at these databases? We're doing a similar project in with people in the UK. And there's always been a lot of chatter about, especially cancer in dogs in other parts of the world. Like some people believe in Europe, they're, they have lower cancer rates in their dog population and golden retrievers is one. But we kind of know, but don't really know, right? Some of it's anecdotal. Some of it is... Maybe it's true. So we're working with a group in the UK because they have something nifty in the UK where all they have a big giant database that connects a lot of the vet clinics, which is cool, right? Like you could walk into any vet clinic in the UK and they're going to have your record. And so there's all this, they're collecting a lot of data and they have cancer data too. And we're going to work with one of their graduate students to look at our cancer data from the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study their vet compass data and kind of see like, what does this look like? How can we compare? Can we talk about exposures? Are exposures different? Are they the same? Is the outcome the same? So let's say we all get exposed to herbicides, but it's different in the UK. Why is it? So it's really, really exciting stuff. And just, again, collaboration, right, across now international borders, which is really cool. Yes. that Yeah, that's really interesting. Um just a very quick story is that our first dog was a chocolate lab named Toby, um, who my aunt, uh, she became a dog breeder and she actually lived in Guernsey, which is one of the channel islands. Um, it's part of England. And, um, so she had these puppies and we went over to get them 
Um, poor Toby ended up uh, contracting parvo virus back here in the States and he did not make it. Um, but what we learned through that experience was that they have such different, you know, it's rabies free country. And then especially the little Island of Guernsey, it's not even the main Island and, um, they're, they're the vaccine. I don't know what the deal was, but he just wasn't as protected, um, with the parvo virus vaccine that he received there and then living here, um, because it was just different. At least that's my memory of the situation. Um, and yeah, so it is interesting, even though we might have the same things, they might be slightly different. Yeah, for sure. And that's a good, that's a good point. Like if Guernsey is parvo free, let's say, let's say they don't have a lot of parvo puppies get some antibodies from their moms, but if their moms aren't really exposed to like parvos out there, right. It's not eradicated. We just vaccinate and they don't get sick. Right. But there's parvo out there and dogs are probably like, I'm always thinking my dog's probably getting exposed. So she's vaccinated, but she also gets some natural exposure, right? Immunology is a weird thing. And like you said, are there different strains? Like you bring a dog here, maybe, right, the vaccine is a different strain or they come in contact with different strains. And it's really fascinating. And I think we can learn a lot by comparing, right, different populations. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see what that turns out. And as, you know, we were talking earlier, that collaborative piece, as well as starting to get the data out there, right? Like, we get a lot of stuff um, from people, like, when are you going to, like, be publishing stuff? Because everybody wants to know, what do I need to avoid, Right. What everyone what, just wants to know, how can my dog not get cancer? Tell exactly. me the answer. What's the right. one thing? <laughs> right, right. And it's tough. I would say one of my dear friends who's doing work, who's done work with the girls study. Um, sorry, I use the acronym girls. We always say girls. That's okay. Um, we like girl power here. Yeah, we like girl power. So it, it fits uh with our with the theme. But she is really into uh environmental exposures. That's her whole bag. And she's had uh dogs that had lymphoma. Boxers get it. She loves boxers. Boxers get lymphoma and and she gets really, um, she's passionate about it. And so she's using our data. And the one thing I would say that she always says is never walk your dog on the pristine lawn. So if you're like out in the park and you see the pristine grass uh, or your neighbor, she said, look for the weeds your dog should be on the weeds because she said she's absolutely convinced that those exposures are bad. They're closer to the ground than we are, right? They're sniffing it up. They get it on their feet. I mean, we don't think of dogs as big groomers, but they do groom and they could be licking it. They could be bringing it into the house where other pets can be exposed. So uh, that's that's really, really, really important. Yes, that's one that- thing. That, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out, especially in the summer. Now, um, those perfect lawns are not natural. <laughs> They're all being treated with something. Yeah, yeah. And even like we're next to a state park and we'll watch and like all of a sudden you'll see like a bunch of weeds are dead. And we're like, okay, like what happened there, right? We should probably not let, let's keep the dog on the path, right? So we can get to another another spot. And um you know, the jury's still out on that. We have actually that same researcher. She did one study looking at lymphoma and where people lived. She had a graduate student who tried to do, tried to find associations. And I will say it got published. It 
they couldn't find an association between lymphoma and location when they looked at it from a high level, but, so there's always a but, but when they, we, lymphoma is not one disease. It's many, many diseases. It's actually has lots of subtypes. When they start breaking it by subtype, eh, there may be some association. So they're actually expanding it because they just need more dogs to figure this out. But there, you know, some of the subtypes of lymphoma did seem to be linked to where these dogs lived. And they were looking at GPS, right? Are you near a Superfund site? Are you not near a Superfund site? So it was really high level, but still, um, yeah, like maybe there's something there with certain types of cancer. So she's looking, taking a dive into it a little bit deeper. Interesting. So you, I, not everyone can just call you up and talk to you and learn all these things. So where can people learn about um, not just like the studies that are happening, but the results, like the, the things that we want to implement in our lives? Um, where can we go to figure that out? Um Check us out at morrisanimalfoundation.org. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a long, a long ad- address, but it is, right? And we have some of these published up there, especially some of the lymphoma environment stuff. We have it either in a blog or you can find it, again, posted on, posted on our website. We have a cancer checklist because right now we're in a big springtime is our big fundraising campaign, Stop Cancer Forever, and that's F-U-R very cute forever. (laughs) And we have extra stuff up there. So like feed your dog vegetables, weight though, the it's, that's a tough one, right? We think of obesity as a risk, risk factor, overweight and obesity, but we don't know exactly, but it's one of the things that's been reported. Exercise, a lot of it is common sense stuff that would tell us that, but then we also have don't, don't walk on the nice lawn, but you can learn some stuff. And we're hoping that we have some more concrete recommendations. And it may even be a one size doesn't fit all, right? Uh, uh, Scotties are very prone to bladder cancer. And there is a strong association between herbicide exposure and pesticides. So go figure, right? Maybe because they're low to the ground, maybe because genetically they're predisposed to bladder cancer. But like they're sometimes they're they're way higher risk than other breeds of dogs, but we're still right sorting that out a little bit. Right. Well, there's never anything that one size fits all. Even I think within a breed, each dog is its own individual. Right. And genetics probably play a role just like they do. Like we're doing a lot of genetic work. Like, can we find a risk factor gene? For example, in women, right? Breast cancer, genes. We know that they're there, right? There's all kinds of, of if you had, you know, BRAC1, BRAC2 gene, right? People have uh, mastectomies, but not everybody. Like that would not be a recommendation. Maybe that somebody would, without those risk factors, we want to do the same with dogs. It's a step toward personalized medicine, right? Uh, for our pets, because we know they, they're different. They're different. Yeah. And they, they deserve all of this. So thank you for, um, thank you for the work that you do and thank you for coming on the show to talk about it. I really appreciate it. And for humoring me with my, (laughs) I'm (laughs) embarrassed now that I was talking to you about immunology because you're such an expert, but 
Um, thanks for humoring me. Oh, no, it's great to talk about it. Immunology is like a weird, I spent three years at National Jewish, uh, which is obviously a big human hospital. And it is one of the most complicated things systems in our body that we have absolutely no uh, knowledge about. And then put in my interest in gastroenterology. And I think everybody's talking about the microbiome. We were collecting poop samples, right? And girls going, well, we should probably collect poop. Well, now we have people really interested in it, right? That we never expected because we know like these guys in your gut, they're doing stuff that can influence, right? How about like the um, fecal transplants? Yeah, that is wild, isn't it? And we are doing some work with that. We're actually doing a study. um, So sorry, I'm like rambling here, but we are doing this really interesting study in fat cats where they're fecal transplanting bugs from thin cats into the fat cats to see if they can help them lose, if they'll lose weight faster. So some cats are going on like a, a low fat, you know, whatever diet, reducing diet, right, that we put these guys on. And some are getting reducing diet plus little little bugs to see <laughs> if, it, if it helps. Because I think we all know oh, being overweight, losing weight in ourselves is really, really hard. And we're learning more about, right, uh, what obesity and overweight and like diets may not work, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and, and they're hard on animals even, too. Even if your dog, even if your vet asks your dog to lose a couple pounds, it's very hard to lose two pounds on really a dog. Really hard, mm-hmm. right? Right. It's really, really tough. And as okay, so I'm going to assume as a Labrador owner, we struggle, right? Labradors have a tendency to be overweight for a variety of reasons. I've had Labradors, and I have put them on like a senior diet or restricted calorie when they were young even, right? Because they, you need to avoid them getting overweight and they are, they are really tough. They're food driven dogs, right? They have a tendency to be overweight. It's just the way that they are. And so, yeah, getting, I I hate to say, like, I have a friend who's my veterinarian, (laughs) Because I don't have a clinic anymore, right? So I have to go to my friend the veterinarian. And she's like, Kelly, you should get your dog to lose some weight. I'm like, I know. So I am there with people. It's not, it's not easy with some dogs. A lot of dogs, it's not easy. And right, and we're learning about that. Wouldn't it be great if we learned about the fecal microbiome? Uh, fecal transplants work great in dogs with parvo, like really, really great in puppies with parvo. Wow. I know. Awesome. And so I think it's, I think it's coming where that's going to be much more common, but we don't even know what normal is sometimes with these dogs. So uh, that's another thing we've got, we're trying to entice, we've got a few people interested in the girl's poop. (laughs) So we're hoping that they'll give it and they're going to, some people are doing it and they'll have every, all the data for free, which is really nice, which means another, or somebody can come in and go, I don't have the resources to sequence all the poop, but I have, I can analyze it in conjunction with the data. And so that'll be free too. So exciting. All the data, all the poop data that you could (laughs) want. Um, (laughs) Kelly, thank you again so much for being on the show. Remind everyone, what's the website address to check out? moresanimalfoundation.org. And thank you so much, Tori. This was fun. I'm sorry I started rambling, but I'm so excited about some of the stuff we're doing. It's just really, really fun. I can tell. I'm, I'm Now I'm, ex- I'm excited. I'm in a good mood after just talking to you. So thanks again. Well, thanks for having me on. 
Some of the best conversations happen after the episode. Send me a note on Instagram at wearwagrepeat or find even more women petpreneurs to connect with in our private Facebook group called Wear Wag Repeat Labs. If you want to dig into more episodes, resources to grow your business, or find a link to something we discussed, it is all right there for you at wearwagrepeat.com. I'll see you back here next Wednesday for a fresh conversation.